The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, a man who will soon be moving into fuel purity as a career choice, it's Andy Greenwald! There's a lot baked into that intro. There's you levels to this. It's levels to that Andor reference game. Hey Andy, what's up man? It's Thursday, we're here with Kaya McMullen. It's kind of a weird day out, like kind of like that late fall desert LA weather that I hate. But it's great to see you. You're like the sunshine on my face. There's a hollow wind kind of blowing, rustling yeah, the man. palm trees, and it's and it's whispering, Liz Truss. It's Liz <laughs> Truss. Dude, is that the lettuce who's saying that? How about how about those Brits, man? And I and shout out to my cousins, not like in the sort of the cousins way, the way that like the CIA refers to uh MI5, but like, you know, in the in the my actual cousins way. They're dealing with a lot over there. It's funny. It's it's like I remember, you know what the feeling that this brings me as we are on the cusp of the midterms and on the cusp of me having to talk about how the House of the Dragon finale next week? It reminds me of a day in third grade. You don't when, have to talk about the House of the Dragon <laughs> finale, right? I have. I have a lot of things to say. Um, I, I think it was second or third grade and suddenly the teacher announced like a, a pop quiz that mm. I was absolutely not prepared for, like in no way prepared to answer it. And as she began handing out these the, the papers, I was like, I'm doomed. Mm-hmm. And then my buddy, uh, who shared like the desk cubicle area with me, just yacked all over the desks. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you, I'm so sorry. But at the same time, you just bailed me out. And that's kind of what England is doing for us on the world stage yeah, by having this happen now. It's just a pal. Thanks, pal. Do you think that was that kid having like an anxiety attack or was, did he have like 14 rolls of sweet tarts and a cheesesteak before school started? We'll never know. I mean, I have been around town pitching the eight episode origin story of his trauma that day that led to that, you know, and I think I've got some nice I've got some interest, but you never you never know, you know, you never know someone else's journey. I just miss 
my Iron Chef days when I was when I was a young boy with like this the, the digestive what? powers of like a trash compactor and you could just eat like shrimp fried rice and a Reese's <laughs> peanut butter cup for lunch. Remember that when we were t- like thirteen, you could just take things out. I, I you know between when school ended at three fifteen and dinner time, which I ima- I don't remember, probably six o'clock. Those were just prime Cheeto hours. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like, and there were no portion sizes. There was just a bag of Cheetos until there wasn't. And that was just like a daily thing. Did that you ever it. have a friend whose parents wouldn't let them have desserts? So they were like, I eat apple slices. Like, that's my treat. I did. <laughs> this is like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking you? about. Yeah, I did. Have, no, I wasn't I, like that. I had a friend though, whose parents were really watching their diet for, you know, health reasons. Sure. I, mean, I don't know. And they were like, they were, I was like, I remember I was like, what's your favorite dessert? classic <laughs> kid conversation and uh they were like well i don't really eat desserts i, I like eating yeah. like apple slices you know maybe a bowl of berries and i was just like that fucking sucks how because big of a like wedgie a- did you get back here <laughs> no i never physically you know bullied anybody but i was like very much like I- you're missing out on the world of eating like 14 blow pops before dinner well i wasn't this this won't surprise anyone who listens to our uh Game of Thrones discussions. I'm not a dessert guy. Like, I don't really like sweets that much. So I wasn't, but my experience was, I don't know if you had a friend like this. Let me give you the other end of the the friend spectrum where I would like, I would go to the, the, my friend's house and I would, and she would be like, would you like some crackers? And I'd be like, yes, I love Triscuits and Wheat Thins, the only crackers that exist. And she would bring out like, you know, like marbled oat biscotti or something because uh-huh. her parents had fancy tastes and she'd be like would you like a soda and I was like yes I haven't had my fifth Coca-Cola classic today <laughs> and she like brought out a small ovoid bottle of Orangina and I was like I don't understand this is Minute Made but worse like it was all like adult things yeah I, I didn't know what to do with that and now I'm like oh that's classy that's classy but the flip side of this now Chris and this is a early we're gonna talk about Andor we're gonna talk about TV but eventually but I, I feel like something that's suitable for Daddington Island someday mm. is the fact that my children, um, my children, my children, <laughs> sweet they, children, they they love. I, I had to tell them about the crisis at Downing <laughs> my, Street this my morning. My sweet cavity riddled children <laughs> on the way to school. Oh, they just they eat dessert to a worrying degree, but they uh, they like burgers and fries because they're human beings who are alive. Uh-huh. But. They have not, and I, I'm not saying this to be like I'm my fancy friend when I was a kid, but they haven't had McDonald's. Okay, they, it, because they they actually are like, oh, gross McDonald's. Like they are snobs. Yeah, but instead, Mor- Mor- Morgan Spurlock got to them. What happens is that there's a number of places out here that make smash burgers, and we don't need to like maybe they'll start advertising. We don't need to shout them out. Yeah, they also Bur- burgers never say die are right right online to start advertising with the watch because <laughs> that place is like bespoke fancy McDonald's. It's mm-hmm. essentially McDonald's. But I'm like, three hamburgers, please, good sir. And they're like, that will be $50. Yeah, yeah. And you're still in a coma afterwards because we are not, this is bringing it full circle, we are not those iron stomach lads of yore. It's not the place's fault. It's just the, like, I, I can't do it anymore. So Greenwald, I wanted to talk to yeah. you a little bit today about what lies ahead. <laughs> Thank God. I'm so glad you wanted to talk to me today because I feel like if you didn't, well, we haven't we haven't done like a gut check on like what's like we haven't done like a seasonal preview in a minute. I think we did one for summer, mm-hmm. but I was kind of uh, looking at I was looking at the trades. You know, I get up every morning and I spread the trades out as I drink my cafe au lait. 
And uh, I just was this like, is, you know, is we this before do... after you do laps in your pool? <laughs> yeah. We should do a level setting about mm-hmm. like what's coming out for the rest of the year because we're almost to White Lotus season two. That's right. coming out in a couple weeks. And then there's a very busy November with like The Crown, etc. So I wanted to kind of go through the shows for the rest of the year and see where you were at because you're a discerning viewer, you know? Can I, can I, can I also just say, as part of this conversation, which, you know what, Chris, I welcome this debate, it, just as I do debates over um, UK fiscal policy. Uh-huh. Do they have a fiscal uh, policy? I haven't noticed. I'm curious. I'm really, you know, it is, it's real sketchboard, no bad ideas in a brainstorm time, which yeah. is just, that's the most freeing that's the most freeing uh, moment. Um, no, just to say, we're going to talk about Andor episode seven. And Chris, Andor is so good. Uh-huh. And it did make me think, and I'm bringing this energy into our conversation. This has been a really good year for TV. Like, I, 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 I'm watching Andor and I'm like, I can't remember loving watching something this much. And then I remember nine other things we've already seen this year and Succession hasn't come on yet. You know, like, this is a good year. Yeah, I mean, we for a non-succession year, I mean, it, it, that succession would only take up one of our spots, but like, I remember we did pods in the spring, and I mm-hmm. I think for uh, about two or three shows, I basically said, if something's better than this, yeah. we'll have had a really good year, and TV keeps surprising us. Um, so, so you, we said that about the bear, we said that about Barry, we were saying it about industry. We um, own the city. Res dogs, we own the city. I mean, this has been awesome. Want to talk about what's coming out for the rest of the year? Yeah. Can we start right. with The Crown? Mm-hmm. The Crown, as you know, I adore. Uh, I have completely uncomplicated, almost unintellectualized feelings about it. It is just a television show that I love to watch and chat about. And I think it is expertly well-made. It may be the best-made show on TV in a lot of ways when you get down to the department heads and stuff like that. And it's always felt like a momentous occasion, but I think it leaning fully into the what looks like the end of Diana with a new uh, performer playing Diana and Elizabeth Becky. New cast this year, Imelda Staunton, Queen Elizabeth, Dominic West as Prince Charles, Jonathan Price as uh, Prince Philip. Oh gosh, like Leslie Manville is playing Margaret now, which I did not realize until I watched this trailer. A trailer Who's playing came Martin out- Bashir? I don't know. Sure. I didn't check that. Uh, but it looks... I mean, it, I, for me... I was when I when I was watching this trailer just came out and the cover of Bittersweet Sympathy Symphony started. I was like, mm-hmm. that's a little bit on the nose. And then like when the drums kicked in, I was just Richard Ashcroft walking up and down my street, <laughs> pushing past your doubts. And yeah. Just yeah, Chris, I want to watch the show now. Yeah, but here's I, the I thing: can I make this uh, yeah. pitch to you? You yeah. can. You can. I know. You don't I'm have going to, to. Yeah, you don't need to know what happened well, on season three of The Crown. But I have to say, maybe this is, look, we don't need to rehash this. I just feel uh, increasingly that the divide between the FOMO, watch it when it drops, it's over by the weekend discourse that we attempt to white knuckle our way onto versus the deep Marianas trench of just stuff. I don't really, I don't know which side of that divide to fall on. You know, I, I, I anecdotally in my life, people have started watching the crown at various points over the last three years. And all of them uniformly are like, this is about as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. It's just as good as it gets. And it, but as good as it gets, maybe in a way that doesn't feel as urgent as, you know, the, oh my God, what's this thing, the bear, and we can burn through it. And, you know, it's three hours and you're going to love it. Like it's a different experience and interface, but all this is to say, I think I've been foolish and not watching it for whatever reason, but this this trailer is dynamite for any number of reasons. One, 
the song to, yeah, I think the relevancy and urgency of it, mm-hmm. both because of, you know, the coverage of the Queen's death recently, but also, I mean, we lived through the Diana part. I mean, we were, we had our, we had all the Verve stock that summer of 97. That's right. Um, that was something that we remember, but also speaking oh, of that's stock. that's right. That album came out that year. Holy yeah. shit. Urban Hymns. Yeah. I feel like we, I feel like this podcast were angel investors in Elizabeth DeBecky LLC. Were we? Like, I just feel like, I feel like we've been fans. Like, Widows, um, the, uh, uh, what was the Lacare that she was in with uh, Hiddleston? Oh, the, uh, um, Night Manager. Night Manager. Yeah. I just think she's a phenomenal performer. And so she's that was really exciting. Really great in Tenet. I, I, I also have to say, yeah, really good in Tenet. Exactly. I did also you, you, think. Did, I can't remember. Did you like Tenet or did you watch it on a plane and we're like, what the fuck is this? Um, I want to unpack that. I I did watch it on a plane, as Christopher Nolan intended. I feel that my notes would have applied even if it had been an IMAX. Okay. But and I thought your, she was awesome. What was your main note? Well, I sat down expecting, you know, a no-holds-barred biopic about former CIA director George Tenet. <laughs> and I was like, finally a movie for me and my tastes. Uh-huh. What was, are we really reviewing 2000? 2000- <laughs> 21. Just having a conversation. I'm just asking. I, I, it, I didn't like it. I, I just, it didn't hold together for me. Okay. So you're in good, on the crown actors, and you're going to watch here's, it. Here's the other thing about the crown that I didn't realize from the opening moments of this trailer, which got, you guys got to watch this trailer. Great trailer. I didn't realize that the house of Windsor suffered a doom of Valeria. Like I, I the opening <laughs> moments, is that real? Like Queen Elizabeth is walking through a burned out castle. And she's like, she goes to a so lot much. of uh, catastrophes throughout the crown. She's often but, like, I need to go and like be the, the sin eater for whatever moment is happening. But that wasn't Buckingham Palace that got no Buckingham dragons. Palace did not burn to the it's ground. It's fine, right? Yeah. Can, I, can it's I ask you? Sequence. Can I see one other thing? Since I haven't seen the show, but now really want to. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think changes in the TV landscape, if anything? And I'm coming. I'm hitting you with this cold, That's so fine. I apologize. If the crown gets bought by HBO instead of Netflix. So which, to, which anecdotally was in the mix. Today I was reading uh an interview with Sharon Horgan on on Vulture about Bad mm. Sisters which just ended which I liked quite a bit, even loved. And she was talking about that it was funny cuz like I had watched most of Bad Sisters and screeners not to humble brag and didn't realize like it was still on. I was just like, oh. holy shit. I was like, is Bad Sisters like not over yet? Like how many weeks has this been out? And I was like, oh, that's how it used to be. TV shows just used to be <laughs> on for two and a half months, you know, like, yeah. or longer. And uh, she was talking about working on this thing for two years, two and a half years, yep. and being like, the idea of working on something for two and a half years and having someone speed through it in a weekend, it's like, fuck that. When I see the trailer for The Crown... For as much as it feels like a huge event, it is a little bit of a shame that it won't be an event that lasts throughout the rest of the year. That it'll be mm-hmm. an event that most people probably finish over the weekend when that drops in November. But do you think that in terms of the fortunes of the companies, I mean, look, I'm not suggesting Netflix's troubles such as they are, are we've discussed. I'm not saying this would have moved the needle in any direction, but I think it is worth saying that in if, if The Crown was coming to market, Mm-hmm. as a new new pitch from Peter Morgan in 2023. I'm intentionally not saying 2022 because I don't know what HBO and HBO Max were looking for in that year, but theoretically, if they're back in business next year and buying things again more robustly, 
Um, Netflix doesn't make an. I don't think Netflix bids on it. I, I think you're right. Although I would say it is the not no pun intended crown jewel of Netflix at this point. Because one I, of the I, things I think, that you'll yeah. notice is that there is only one other Netflix show on this list of sh- shows that I'm really excited for the rest of the year. So, do you think what if if the Crown is on HBO five years ago or whenever it debuts? Do you think anything is different in the TV landscape would H- or in the way this show? Would HBO have bought it? I think I mean, so. they didn't. I think I think they were in the mix for it. That's anecdotal, but I think they were. I think Netflix blew the other offers out of the water because that was still what they were doing then. Well, arguably, they're looking for a Crown-esque experience with Gilded Age, which is Julian Fellows, not Peter Morgan, yeah. and is on uh, HBO Max. And is it was in that montage that Andy and I referenced mm-hmm. on Monday about upcoming HBO shows. What do you? I mean, what do you think? I, I, I guess I don't know if it changes anything. If Netflix doesn't get it, it 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 almost doesn't make sense because it really is. To your point, I'll just say it again: it was one of the crown jewels, if not the crown jewel of of uh, the previous regime mm-hmm. of at Netflix when they were you know, making things like The Crown and Master of None and even Ozark being like, we're making TV shows that can be in the conversation with other prestige shows and we're going to be there at the Emmys every year. And that just doesn't seem to be their MO anymore. So I, maybe it just would have hastened that that change. I don't really know if things, I don't, I don't really know what, what needles it move otherwise. And I, as, to your point, like people love the show. And so it would, I don't think, I don't think more people would necessarily discover it if it was coming out week to week, but maybe, maybe, maybe it would be more vociferous you know, and if if I'm, you know, I'm I'm pretty much just a swing voter here. So maybe I would have started watching it earlier. Well, I hope you watch this season. I hope we get to chat about it. Um, here's some other shows that are coming out the next couple of months. Inside Man, which is a BBC Netflix co-pro. It's a four episode series. I mention it mostly because it's got David Tennant and Stanley Tucci, which is a pretty amazing one-two punch to throw at you. I I think this is like just a, a quick limited murder mystery. Um, the Crown, as mentioned, 1899. So I guess there are a couple of Netflix things. 1899 is the one I wanted to touch on just because that's coming in November. That is the new show from the creators of Dark, which is a show that you and I spent quite a bit of time talking about over the years. Loved it. And is set on a, a steamership going across the Atlantic in the titular 1899 and looks losty, you know, looks, Did- looks paranormal. Is a member of the Dutton family on board? Dude, don't fucking don't don't question the Dutton family. That guy's governor now. I don't know if you saw the trailer. That's true. He's just there's a real there's a real red wave in the that's governor's another, office. That's another show days. you could just feel free to jump on in on. Thanks, buddy. Go okay, Dutton. keep going about 1899. 1899. No, I don't. That's it. I mean, 1899 is just. I I'm so excited that these these creators got to make another show for Netflix and. It'll be interesting, you know, you were talking about the Andor effect on other shows or on, mm-hmm. on Star Wars over the over the last couple of weeks. Uh, this is, I think, largely shot in a, a volume-type environment. This is a volume show. This, this, the, thing, the thing about 1899 when we get to talk about it, and I think people should check for it because, as Chris said, like, Dark was incredible. Dark yeah. was... It's hard to imagine the... Just, I, everybody's doing time... Tra- everybody's doing time travel. Um, yeah. In, perhaps the midterms might send us back into the 1840s. We don't know. Um, but Dark just took everything and pushed the board up to 11. Like it thought everything through to such an insane German engineered way. Not a, necessarily a funny watch or mm-hmm. a heartening watch. It is a dark, dark watch. But God, I, it was I, the, the brain power behind it. It was just narratively so fascinating and engaging. And I, I loved watching all three and seasons. And the first season is one of my favorite seasons of TV in the last, yeah. like, I don't know, five or six years. God, that was fun to have on the air. And so 
I, we will cover it on this creative merits because we really like and admire the people who made it. I think we will also have a conversation about the future of making television because it is an interesting play by Netflix because the whole thinking behind it was we can build a volume soundstage. And, you know, we say it a lot. The volume is the technology that allows Disney to do the Mandalorian the way it does, where you are live streaming essentially the CGI worlds onto LED screens that you then just film with digital cameras. So it it, it speeds up the post-process and any, in one room can be almost anywhere. Right. Um, to basically it just takes a lot of boxes for the new model of Netflix. In the international show, the cast is intentionally drawn from all over the world. Yeah. Um, shot Mul- in one cost-controlled. Right? Yeah. Yes, co- yeah. one cost-controlled place, playing with genre, but all kind of more tightly controlled than something. It's, in some ways, it's the opposite of Andor, because Andor, they were like, here's tens of millions of dollars, and we're just going to build places, and you're going to feel them. Yeah. So it'll be an interesting test. A couple other shows that we're really looking forward to. Personally, very curious about The English, which is the six-part Western on Amazon Prime from Hugo Blick. We really loved Honorable Woman. That's our guy. And also Shadowline. I was less of a huge fan of Black Earth Rising, but this is a six-part series set in the American West starring Emily Blunt. Uh, and if it's Hugo Blick, I'm I'm at least in for one. You know, like I that that's enough for me. And I think it's really interesting to see Emily Blunt, who is arguably one of the biggest movie stars in the world, doing a, a limited series. I also think this isn't a conversation for today, but just you mentioning the Honorable Woman really gets me thinking about. I mean, that's one of that's one of our favorite shows mm-hmm. of the last since we've been doing the podcast in the decade. Um, one of our favorite viewing experiences. There are a lot of things like that. Jane Campion's Top of the Lake, like just one-offs that popped during you know a particularly gold rushy age of prestige TV that really stand up. I think, but I will we ever do not we but like the world do a rewatchables of prestige miniseries? Do you know what I mean? Like, is there a market not? You get at a really interesting question there because I've often wondered whether or not we would be well-served to do some more ranky kind of like go back and go through Mm -hmm. the last 10, 15 years and like organize shows in different ways and pick some of our favorites. And we should, we should do that. But just because of the proposition of, hey, if you want to talk about Friday Night Lights, technically speaking, there's like, you know, 60 hours of it for you to for you to get through, if you want to talk about even Honorable Woman, it's not the same as revisiting Michael Clayton. It's a little bit more laborious, but it's also, it's a different experience. I think, I don't really have many dramas that I've rewatched. It's way more like, I I can watch comedies until the, the sun goes down and then comes back up again. But when it comes to like, prestige dramas, I'd much rather watch SVU or Community or something like that. Well, I think that also comes comes down to- When it comes to rewatchability. It's also about the episodic nature. Like you want something familiar. and Like watching Michael Clayton again is always a, a new experience and a rewarding experience, but it's a familiar experience and it's a, and it's a limited experience. You know, it's right. a couple hours. The, like the, the few times that I've been on the actual rewatchables, it's like, oh, we're doing The Fugitive? Okay, Wednesday night I will watch the film The Fugitive. Yes. That's the research process. That's yeah. two hours of time. I, I would be very curious about The Honorable Woman again. And I, I probably don't remember it very well, but do I have a spare 10 hours? And Not the, at this point. The thing is with Honorable Woman and a lot of prestige shows is they are very hooky. They're very twisty. They mm-hmm. are very, you know, there's a moment that happens that it's gut punch and, and The Honorable Woman has several of those. I don't know that I need to see that. Like, I don't know if it would have the same dramatic effect to know what's going to happen to certain characters on that show and watch the whole thing again. 
can I make a can I make a, a plea to our our listeners? I'd, I'd be really curious about this, and maybe we can even officially start a, a thread on Facebook, but or or it could take the place of a thread on Facebook that says I'm saying that House of the Dragon has bad ratings, which I've never actually said. It has very good ratings. Have you a TV watcher enough who's engaged enough to listen to this podcast in the last year? Watched and finished a limited series that was made in a year not 2022. Like, have you just fired up something that was extremely, you know, Mayor of Easttown, for example, well, or Honorable Woman? You know so what I mean? Something, something that, that was, you missed or something that you were going back to watch again? I feel like it's two separate questions. I actually was curious in the former. Because like, if it, is there a secondary market? I do. I think that there is because I think that there's like an almost algorithmic recommendation engine phenomenon online, whether it's like the TV versions of Letterboxd that there are or mm -hmm. just people look at the Facebook group around the watch. Like there's always like, hey, you guys missed you may have missed this show two or three years ago, but check it out. So I do think that there is something of a culture of like finding undiscovered gems or going back. Also, you get a lot of people who are like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to watch the crown because the new season is coming out, you know, for, well, for ongoings, that makes sense. There's always people starting for the first time or revisiting to get caught up for something. But I, I, I am particularly curious, maybe we could make a list because I would look back on our top tens and I, I'm sure between us, there's probably 10, 15, maybe even more one and dones that we were really moved by or excited about. And I, I don't know what happens to them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I wonder if the streaming services and, and programmers know what happened to them, and maybe that's why they're making fewer of them these days. I, I, I wonder what that data would suggest. But I, I'm curious, because there's a lot, of, a lot of really good stuff, good filmmaking, good TV storytelling. Uh, here's a couple more shows that are coming. Tulsa King, which is the Taylor Sheridan, Terrence Winter, Sylvester Stallone show set in modern times with Sylvester Stallone as a fish-out-of-water gangster taking over it, Tulsa. And Andrea Savage, right? This is the thing. Have you seen this cast? It's, it's, it's so stacked. It's Andrea Savage, Dominic Lombardozzi, Max Casella, Garrett Hedlund, and Dana Delaney. Shout out to China Beach. I, I do really, really love when showrunners get so big they can just cast from their dream Rolodex. You know what I mean? Like that... I'm not saying Andrea Savage was is hurting for work. She's awesome. We we love her. She came on one of our Live Thrones shows. She's a great comedian and performer. I just don't know. Like I don't feel like casting directors were were, were calling up Sheridan and being like, you know who I like for this, but he liked her for it. But which I makes like it the so fact much that the Sheridan verse is now becoming like the counterweight to MCU, where it just like sucks up all these actors. But fucking Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford are in 19. 1932 well, or 29. Don't worry, Chris. Harrison Ford is also in the MCU now. I know, that's true. You can play both sides. Uh, Yellowstone, <laughs> as I mentioned. As someone who has been a longtime fan of the military liaisons in the MCU, <laughs> as evidenced by your passionate, passionate caretaking of uh, Rhodey in the Iron yeah, Man that's movies, right. I just feel like there's a weight off your shoulders now that you know that, that General Thunderbolt Ross's boots won't be on the shelf for too long. A couple more. Yellowstone, I'm in. You know that. TFW Dutton is gov is the only note I have here. Um, <laughs> I would love to go through a list of governors and try and figure out how many how many people I would rather have than John Dutton as governor. Number one, Carrie Lake. <laughs> no, I mean, like, that's exactly Done. what I mean. Would you yeah. rather have John Dutton as governor of Arizona than Carrie Lake? I would rather have fictional John Dutton be multi-state gov, like yeah. a polyamorous governor yeah. that's just like, has a bed in multiple state houses or than like any of these absolute the nut jobs. Yeah. Escape from New York where he just runs all territory west of the river kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine with me. Um, 
Fleischman in trouble. Interesting. Interesting. I feel about that. Did you read that book? I didn't read it. Did you read it? It just seems like the kind of book you'd read. And it's Fleischman is in trouble. And I didn't mean that to sound at all like because you're Jewish. I just mean... <laughs> like, because this guy, Portnoy over here, is always complaining. Am I right? <laughs> okay. That's this not seems what I like meant. the kind of book you'd read. You just seem like okay. the kind of person who likes a cerebral, urbane midlife crisis novel about middle-aged Jewish people. About the international banking industry. No, I get it. I get it. Do you say, <laughs> use those adjectives again. Why do you, Doug Mastriano. Right? <laughs> Urbane. I've heard, I've heard some of these adjectives recently in commercials. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I would like to read that book. And it's, it's based on the Taffy Brodus Arachner novel that did really well. And it's, it, speaking of like, you know, high prestige swings, FX is always zagging when everyone else is zigging. And it's Claire Dane's season. She's in Fleischman and she's also in the the Steven uh, Soderbergh show that's Mm -hmm. coming out next year. Lizzie Kaplan, Jesse Eisenberg, and also just like, it it feels very 2017 where FX was just like, here's a hot book. We're going to make it. We're going to put the author in charge or co-charge of it. We're going to cast the shit out of it and we're just going to let it fly. I'm, I'm into it. This is a private personal matter, but Gangs of London season two is coming out in November. <laughs> Did you watch the Red Band trailer for this? <laughs> I mean, wait, thank you for asking me on the mic. Do you, do, you, do you need to know the answer? Did you? You seem like the no. kind of guy, just from looking at you, this seemed like the kind of guy who would watch yeah. that trailer. <laughs> the thing is, I plan to, but I just cracked a cold orangina. And I had a fresh bag of Italian biscotti and I just couldn't find the time. There's some really amazing kills in this. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> okay. Uh, otherwise, I'm really looking forward to Slow Horses season two. What a remarkable yes. planet we live on where we get two seasons of Slow Horses in one year. And more to come, right? They're just in perpetual I, motion I think they've, over there. They've, they've got a four season deal and it's basically each so season right. is covering one of Mick Heron's books. Uh, I believe this season is Dead Lions, which is the second book, which is a really, really, really fun story about a retired British spy who dies and offsets or puts into motion essentially a Russian sleeper cell being activated and it's it rules and the show somehow like knows what it is without like it already knows what it is it doesn't have to like find its footing and I really really enjoy the model of like here's five episodes and here's another six episodes and like this kind of perpetual I love the fact that they're that they're doing it this way and my favorite money ball thing in television recently and it's the equivalent of like the Mariners signing Julio Rodriguez to a 12-year deal when he's like, can't drink legally, right. is when networks are so confident in what they've got. They're just like, so can, can we give Gary Oldman the 10-year deal? Yeah, yeah, it's stable about the economy of audience. And the other version of this is, is FX renewing what we do in the shadows for three seasons. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, of course, take the drama out of the comedy situation there and just, they can keep making them and people like them. And I, I understand why the economics or the audiences or the creatives doesn't allow that to happen more often. Yeah. It has to line up, but it's just so nice to see when good things are rewarded with stability. And also, it just seems like there are, there are several set pieces in the Slow Horses books, but a lot of it is Gary Oldman smoking and farting. And a lot of it is like, I have to run across the street and like go into this Chinese restaurant to talk to somebody else. It's not... Oh, but, but I forgot a brawly and yeah. I have to take this copy of the Daily Mail and hold it over my head. <laughs> exactly. Do you want to talk about Andor? You're done with your list? What about Succession? Succession's what about not coming white, What about White Lotes? Succession's not coming on this year. Yeah, it is. Succession? Isn't it? 
Yeah, it's not coming back this year. I think it's coming. I, I thought it was coming back in the spring. I think it could be like February, March. I, I thought it was coming back this year because I thought they were trying to atone for their delay. And so they oh, were trying yeah. to put it put it into more traditional TV production. And I thought it was going to drop like after Thanksgiving. But HBO doesn't do that. HBO doesn't take the holiday slots the way Netflix sort of That's innovated. Right. You're right. You're right. I was That was optimistic thinking. White Lotus is the closest thing we have. Like that will be the the soonest we get a new show that we're, we're really psyched for, which is, I think it's coming out next week. It's real soon. Yeah. Uh, and White Lotus season two is set in Italy and stars Aubrey Plaza and Michael Imperioli, uh, F. Murray Abraham, Tom Hollander, which I'm very excited about seeing him in the White Lotus world. How are you feeling about that? Really interested. Just re- I'm just very curious. You know, I think that, as we said throughout the first season, you know, both in the beginning when I was dubious and by the end when it did, I, it did totally suck me in. It's just Mike White is such a particular voice, such mm-hmm. a particular filmmaker. And so year to year, I'm curious what he is interested in. And I'm also curious what he, as a pretty savvy veteran, even though he kind of walks outside of the margins and works outside of the margins, what he felt was important to retain. And mm-hmm. so, for example, in the trailer the big trailer that dropped, you know, in the last few weeks, I was kind of surprised that there's a shot of a body bag. Now, that may be a misdirect. That may be a, you know, it's unrelated to the main plot in the way that the there's a body at the beginning of season one. Who will it be? How that kind of was the spine of the first season. Maybe it's just sort of remind people that that was that type of show. But maybe that's that's the bit. Maybe if, that's the... What if the body in the body bag is Kendall Roy? Wow. Well, he's real in the industry universe. Yeah. So Yo, did you see that this- Harry Lottie is going to be in the second Joker movie? I did not see that. Yeah. As what? Um, I don't know. You big Joker movie guy, Chris? You watch that on a plane? I watched it in a theater by myself. Um, it's just how God and Ron DeSantis wanted it. I'm not really a big Joker movie guy, but I also wasn't like, this movie should not be allowed to come out. I I, I, I want to make like, in, in our just absolute bullshit hall of fame, you know, where we usually have pages devoted to MCU directors talking about how they were really influenced by Antonioni and the parallax view. Uh-huh. One of my favorite headlines that I didn't click on from the last few months was, was uh, Margot Robbie saluting and applauding Lady Gaga taking on the mantle of Harley <laughs> Quinn. Harley Quinn. Yeah. Just like it, it is, it is, it is Hamlet. You know what I mean? It's just like, can't wait to see what once. you do with it. Yeah. I love it. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong. But these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Let's talk about Andor. Yes. I'm going to be cold water guy. Wow. For the sake of the podcast. I lo- I thought this was a great episode of Andor. Thanks. I th- yeah, I was going to say, let me applaud you the way Margot Robbie, you just took my role. <laughs> no, I just want just to, just to offset the usual standification of this show, I just want to throw this out there. Okay. That this one mm-hmm. was written by Stephen Schiff, who was the original mm-hmm. person that they had sort of earmarked to do Andor. Mm-hmm. at least according to the things that I have read. Mm-hmm. And then Tony Gilroy placed him in 2020. In 2022, we obviously get this show. There's going to be one more season after this. And as Tony told us, that's going into production soon. So that's that's nailed on. So this episode is written by Stephen Schiff. If you had to guess, is this a remnant episode from before? Mm-hmm. Is this a make good, hey, Stephen, you accomplished screenwriter who has written True Crime starring Clint Eastwood and worked on The Americans. Why don't you take one, my guy? Mm-hmm. Or was this like Stephen Schiff had some stuff to do with this, but Tony Gilroy essentially wrote it and we are seeing written by Stephen Schiff out of like arbitration reasons? Thank you for asking this question. I wanted to talk about this. Let me begin by saying this process of writer credit of writer crediting is very opaque. And even when it's not opaque, it's very twisty and often contextual and specific to how certain shows are run, studios, showrunners guilds, arbitrations, et cetera. So I do not have inside information and I don't presume to. Um, But I will say this episode played to me like raw, uncut Gilroy. This was bright pink Peruvian flake Tony Gilroy. Interesting. uh, I thought the exact opposite. I thought this was the least Gilroyian of these six episodes. Oh, my guy. (laughs) There were at least three Prime okay, Tonyisms. Can I can and, I adjust my yeah, statement? Yeah. The Cassian stuff didn't necessarily feel, especially at the end, didn't feel as Gilroy as the ISB stuff. As yeah. you know what I mean? Like the, yes, the, the end of the episode the, almost felt like, and now he's on another planet, and he's with a woman, and he's arrested. The the ISB stuff was. I mean, that was like that was, that was like the Tony. ghost of Paul Sorvino taking the razor blade to slices of Tony Cerebellum <laughs> and serving them just lightly melted in the gravy. It was so you can't, you can't cut so it too good. Thin. Yeah. Um, so to your point, Chris, I think this is the sort of thing you, we can comment on because Tony has basically confirmed this both to us and in other interviews he's done. Stephen Schiff was developing an Andor TV show. Uh, for whatever reason, the broad outlines of it were shared with Tony. I don't know whether at this point Stephen had already moved on, but what the work that had been done was shared with Tony, who had previously said he wasn't going to work on this. This prompted him to write a manifesto and an That's email. Right. That's right. In, again, typical Tony fashion this. being like, I'm not going to do it, but here's what it could be. Right. He then took over. Um, from my understanding, it Stephen It can't Schiff be stated Tony- enough that when apparently they asked Tony Gilroy what kind of show he would want to make if mm-hmm. he could make anything, he said, I would like to make Star Wars Inherit the Wind. 
Yes, or, or the winds of war. Yeah. Like, right? Like that's, so he, from my understanding, Stephen Schiff and Tony Gilroy never collaborated and never worked in the same office in any capacity. My guess is aspects of this episode, perhaps the, the, the beach stuff, the, perhaps the end of it, were left over in, in either in conception or execution. Probably not execution, probably not script pages, but some shape, some plot points, some ideas were left over from the original Schiff version of the show. And I don't know whether it's as a make good or whether it's some sort of contractual reason Stephen Schiff is, is the credited writer. But this is always really tough because there are shows where the credited writer, who is not the showrunner, wrote every word. That's, that's absolutely possible. There yeah. are comedy shows where they openly say, we room write all the jokes. And right, we everybody's take turns just throwing credit. stuff up there. Right. The one thing that people who don't work in the industry should know is that the scripts always go through somebody's typewriter last. And it's generally the showrunner who makes whatever changes he or she sees fit to, for consistency's sake. So anyway, all that being said, I found this to be, I, I love this show so much. And I, I love the show for episodes like this. I'm trying my because, best to like counterbalance, but it's not like I have a single thing that I, I mean, like when I replay scenes in my head, when I replay the Tay and Mon Mothma scene of them at the party, mm-hmm. and then it, it's the kind of circular conversation of going back, like I think you'll find my politics, you know, too strong or something. Uh, I, I went, when Marva came back on the screen, when Fiona Shaw came back on the screen, I was like, I feel yes. like that was the perfect ending Yes, in three for this character but then it gives her like this whole new life of, and, and the last shot of her with the blaster is so fucking good. It, it, because it takes the action. Last week was the action and this mm-hmm. week is the reaction. But because it's so well-written and crafted, the impact of the Aldani affair lands on the faces of characters we know. It's not abstract. It's not a shot of people in a town square, mostly filled out with CGI, raising their fists like, we can do it. We can punch them back. It lands on Marva's face. It has Mm -hmm. changed her. It's Fiona fucking Shaw in a Star Wars show delivering the speech that this is one of the reasons why I thought it was pure Tony, because one of the things that he loves to do, and I love him for it, is he, he loves to redefine things with speeches. And it happened at least three times. I wrote down two of them because once I realized it was a pattern again in this episode. But in that scene, she says, uh, he, there's the idea of uh, like fretting about you, worrying about you. And she says, that's not worry, that's love. That's just love, yeah. It, it, earlier in the episode, someone says, it's not a rob- I think it's not a robbery, it's an announcement. Wow. You know, and, and in the first episode, we, we're not security, we're healthcare. I mean, this is what he does, right, with his words. He, he, he uses... Uh, he uses his his keyboard like a like a pickpockets tools so just like find little seams and things and open them up and reframe them and it's just it's so artful well and it's almost like he with, has a couple of characters who are the writers right like Luthen mm-hmm. Marva Patrick Az are like you know they they can just change the rules of the game in the moment you know when Mod Motha comes to Luthen and she's like I basically like I didn't sign up for this and he's like this is exactly what you signed up for. Has has there ever been a has anyone ever built a weapon and didn't use it? Yeah, I mean this stuff is so fireballs, right? It's so cool and it's so smart, and you're marrying this with these performances. You're marrying this with, I mean, we need to say the name Luke Hull in every podcast we do. He's the production designer. Dude, the fucking train station where where the yes. Luthen's like assistant is just walking through the city and Coruscant, and then to go meet Vel, who is all like had a blowout you know and everything and that shouldn't be as good as it is 
What about Cinta's speeder that she uncovers? Yeah. And it, you can feel the rust in it. It's, it's like a not lawnmower. Like the ones, yeah. Or how about um, Marva's coffee pot, which again, like has been built for her with enough time for Fiona Shaw to go on set and understand how to use it the same way I use my coffee maker. So it feels part of her life or the, um, the sentencing scene, mm-hmm. you know, at the end with those, those little like punch cards and the, and the box fan. Yeah. The, the fucking Mario Kart beach level music when we get to another place. <laughs> and I got so excited. Nicholas Patel's score. I'm like, yeah, I want to listen to this music now. This is a place with culture and personality, even if we're just going straight to a penal colony maybe next. I don't know. I didn't see if there was a scene from the next, but it's so, I just find this to be so rich and I, I'm sorry, I gotta be me. But when people make the argument that like House of the Dragon is, is interesting because it's about succession, I'm like, okay, that's like saying playoff baseball is interesting because men hit balls with sticks. Like this, this show has emotion and depth and richness that earn the, the 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 larger architectural or thematic swings to me. It's about these characters. Yeah. They're engaged. The, the fucking, we're still with what's his name and his mom. And he's still tailoring his own outfits and seething with resentment. And something is coming, you know? That's what you can use eight episodes or 12 episodes or 24 episodes for. You can seed something. You can, you can, let it simmer for a while before it boils. Are you it's feeling, just, do you find that it's easy to keep track of time on this show? I, I was, I think the thing that up, threw up me off- Up until the very end I did. Well, because I think it, what threw me off was there is a contemporary Star Wars thing where you can just put people from planet to planet and just be like, well, that was two hours or something like that. You know, like yep. he's back on Ferrix, presumably the day after he's killed Skeen, Right. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, because it's just breaking news. And that's only like a week after he left Ferrix? I guess we don't because really Bix know still how long. Because still has we... like a... I, I'm curious because yes. I thought he was gone for months, basically. No, I, I bet if we went back and ran the tape, I feel like Vel says to Luthen, like, we're about to do this in however much time. We only right. have so much time to do this. So right. so I think that, that helps explain that. I think that. yours way, actually said each three episodes is like a week in his life or something, right? I, what about the, I think he did say something like that to us. Yes. What about like Clem wasn't chosen at random? I mean, come on. What, what about this, like the snow people hang, like the flashbacks. There's just an artfulness to the way this show is edited too. Shout out to another Gilroy brother, John. Yeah. You know, who is in creative lockstep with his brothers. Well, also that, it. that sick shot where it's like, it's Cassian's adult face, but the yes. young boys like body. It's, it's great. It's great. There was a lot of Star Wars stuff in, the, in this episode. Did you know that? Yeah, and I liked that. My yeah. God, what's become of us? So I highly recommend people check out Ben Lindbergh's recaps on The Ringer because he beautifully writes about this show and is clearly as emotionally invested in it as we are, but also is like, that's the dude who tells Tarkin to like do this, you know? And there's some oh. there's some Easter eggs throughout this episode. Can we just... Like, look, if you just took that ISB scene, though, mm-hmm. right? And then what? the um, The shorting of the financial... Of the, of the healthcare stock in the second episode of industry scene. Yeah. I wouldn't, I know I already mentioned my coffee maker, but I would throw it out the window if I just had those scenes available to you me You mean all the, the time. one where, she, where the guy is like doing his presentation on how Dedra is out of line and then Patrick Gaz is like, actually Dedra's running shit now? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's theater and it's framed in this room and it's shot so beautifully and the faces are so, every face in that room was chosen to be a face, you know, and it's just... 
I, I guess what I would say is what's thrilling to me about the show is don't tell me there wasn't action in this episode. Watch that scene. Mm-hmm. Watch that scene. And then watch the Obi-Wan Darth Vader lightsaber fight in the dark on a planet we don't care about at the end of Obi-Wan. And I'm sorry, guys, I'm sorry. My car broke down this morning. I'm doing the thing where I'm punching down. Don't need to do that. Andor is good no matter what else is on TV, but it was striking. I do think Ben brought up this interesting point in his piece, which is he he was essentially like, I hope that I'm able to like watch Star Wars in the same way after Andor because I'm worried I won't. You know, that, that hmm. anything that essentially approaches these stories with anything less than this level of care, intellectual curiosity, emotional depth, structural flair is going to be hard to stomach, you know? But here's the thing. Here's my answer to that. This show is making the case for TV. It's making a case for the medium because a Star Wars movie, if done well, should do what A New Hope did. Or, or Rogue One, you know, if we want to make it more, more, more contemporary. Like, it should fill you with an expansiveness and, and, a, and a, a sense of wonder, right, in a, in a compact way that just picks you up, carries you into hyperspace, and brings you back again in two hours. I, I think that his point is really well made, but because it's coming from a position, it's the opposite of poverty. It's coming from a place of richness, that yes. he has that movie experience, and now what? You can have this too? And this was always the way this was supposed to work, I think, until a lot of the wires got crossed. Do you feel like, structurally, as an episode, that most contemporary TV viewers watching this won't find the ending of this episode abrupt? Or won't, like, I mean, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, like, get myself mm-hmm. outside of my own, like, complete Gilroy-pilled way of watching this. And that's why I was like, was this episode that, like, was this, this episode as good as I, the other ones? Because, like, and, and maybe this was sort of, like, a patch-up job of, like, an older script that meant to transition to what I would imagine is now going to be a jailbreak arc. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I think um, it's interesting. We were talking about the Netflix stuff before. I wonder what the um, reaction to the end of this episode would be because I think that people are conditioned to episodes ending with not a shrug, but with just sort of an ellipsis, you know, because this felt like a Netflix ending to me. This felt like the end of an episode oh, for I, I, See, I feel like the opposite. Show. This felt, like, I think most episodes of TV, when I watch, like, especially prestige mm-hmm. ones, feel more like Mad Men, where it's like 42 minutes of beautifully written, but relatively staid drama, and then in, like, the last 10 minutes, like, something amazing happens, and you're like, I can't wait to see the next one. But this one didn't do that. No, that's what I'm saying. Like this one, I, I felt like I, even though he's put in prison, I felt like it was kind of like this almost rush at the end. But that's what I mean. I feel like I remember watching early seasons of House of Cards and being like, I don't know what to do with this because I've, I've been reviewing TV episodes and these episodes really yeah, these don't chap- care. These are chapters. Yeah. yeah it'll, the next one just starts. And so if you took House of Cards episode 107, I don't know which one that was, but just any of them out of context and watch the last few seconds of it, I don't think it ended with anything particularly jolting or jarring necessarily. Um, maybe I'm misremembering this because I, I think, I, I hear your point. I agree with you, but I always thought because if it was going to be weekly, it would need to end with either something, just end with something bigger to sustain your interest right. for longer. Right. And this is, this feels like a streaming slow drift ending, but it is being, you know, doled out weekly. Well, I can't wait for next week's. But I, but I am, I, I'm curious what people are feeling. Like I just, 
I continue to say it. Like, I just think the show is a win across the board and will continue to be one, especially when it's complete and just viewable for future generations or people who haven't come around to it yet. And maybe who will prefer not having this to make the decisions we're talking about week to week. But I, I, I watch this and I'm so, I'm just, I'm not on a second screen. I am just so oh, no only way. in this How could screen, you be? It's so you know? dense. There's so it's much so information dense. being thrown at you. Like I still like, even as somebody who's essentially is wa- watching this as carefully as possible, yeah. the conversation between Vel and Luthen's shopkeeper person, I got Associates, a little confused about yeah. like, well, who wanted the new person? And like, it, they were essentially having this conversation about like when you're in this sort of espionage rebellion yeah. business, you know, there, there are sort of... Um, expectations about like you know you're maybe not going to see the people anymore and they seem to be talking about a new person that was brought in and i couldn't tell if that was cassian or if that was skeen i had to watch that scene twice yeah i didn't know who i didn't know who was at first it took me a second right in the hood but who were they talking about i thought they were talking about him that's what i thought okay maybe i'll watch it again kai just keep rolling i'm gonna go quiet i'm gonna go dark on my mic kai keep rolling he's gonna watch four seasons of the crown and then we'll be back in 40 hours. Kyle, turn the TikTok camera on. I'm going to watch TV. <laughs> Kyle! Uh, Greenwald, it's amazing that we get to do this twice a week. It, blessings upon it, it, blessings. It, it, it really, you know, sometimes it really is amazing. I agree. It's I'll great. see you for the Fleischman is in Trouble book club tonight. We were produced by Kyle McMullen as usual. Uh, we will be back on Monday. This is how I'm going to control the media, Chris. You know what? All Fleischman, all the time. (laughs) House of the Dragon finale uh, and Atlanta, probably. AKA Monday's pod, Greenwald is in trouble. What if we just came through and we just did 120 minutes on tar on on Monday? Chris, this is my bit. Before you were like, let's talk about all the TV shows for the rest of the year. I was like, Chris, this disrupts my plan to just make this a tar pod. But have you seen tar? The La Brea tar pods. Uh, Have I seen it? No. I mean, that would be an essential component of, of doing a, a podcast. You, you would think, but I, I, I might surprise you. We'll see you guys on Monday. Thanks for listening. 